Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Robert Puckett, Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. This episode of Unwanted Guests, we are going to be talking about two insects that are really closely related to each other. And so we're going to kind of lump a lot of this stuff together. But that is the silverfish and the firebrats. So who wants to jump in and kind of give a general description of Thysonura and kind of the body shape and what characteristics, and then we'll talk about um, the differences between fire brats and silverfish after that. I can do their general description because I'm not quite sure that I really could tell you the main difference between fire brats and um, silverfish, to be honest with you. But Thysonura is a really primitive group of insects. Um, they don't have wings as adults and they are kind of fish-like in, in appearance, as far as looking scaly, um, they're wider on their head end and then kind of taper down at the, the tail end. They're very soft bodied. So if you try to pick it up, you oftentimes will smash them. Um, and they will leave behind a, like a silvery soot on your, um, on your hands because they have scales that cover their body. And so since they don't have wings as adults, they have, um, it's very hard to tell if you're looking at immatures or if you're looking at just a small adult, because they really from egg and hatching out as that immature, just very gradually develop into the adult form, but all look really similar to each other. Did you mention the, the bristles that come off of the tip of the abdomen? I didn't. And so at the end of their body, they have, I think this is what you're talking about at the end of their body. They have on, on the tail end, um, Circe, which are kind of like, I always describe them as like antenna, but on the hind end, they're like appendages that help them sense what's going on in the world. And so they oftentimes have antennae. Long Circe or three long tails coming off their end. All right. So has anybody other than myself ever seen fire brats? You know, I was thinking about this outside of collections. I don't know that I've ever seen one, you know, in, in a, in a home, in a structure. I mean, I've had some sent to me before, but, but I don't think I've ever seen one. Hmm. It might be like a regional thing or something. Cause I mean, I haven't seen them since I've been in Texas, but when I mm. lived in Ohio, um, I definitely saw them and they, so with silverfish, they're more of that kind of grayish, silvery, pearlescent almost color. And fire brats are more of a mottled, almost grayish brown. So it's kind of lighter and darker speckling all over the body. But other than that, I mean, they pretty much look just the same. And of course, they live in different areas. So Robert, do you want to tell us typically where people can find silverfish? Well, I mean, they actually have fairly similar, um, you know, uh, diet and food seeking behavior. I mean, these, these are insects that have the enzymes that allow them to break down cellulose. So cellulose is um, a, a key component in their diet. And they can get this from a lot of materials. So, so termites um, also are searching for cellulose and, and they, you know, cellulose is a component of plant cells. And so our you know, our termites get it from the wood that they're feeding on, whereas these guys 
um, aren't capable of, of feeding on really hard and dry material like that um, in the same way that termites do. Rather, they, they feed on um, cellulose that they can find from like books, for instance, um, printed pages, um, clothing, starchy items in the home. Um, so yeah, in that way, they're, they're, they're pretty similar. They will feed on um, cereals and, and some of our um, stored food products like uh, you know, flour and pasta and pet food. Um, they'll also um, feed on uh, the, the glue and paste that we use to bind books um, in a very similar way to um, as uh, like book lice. And so from that perspective, they're, you know, they're after generally the same things um, in terms of their diet. Now, one thing, one thing that's important to point out that is that some of these will feed on fungi and fungi can provide a, uh, an alternative source of food for them. And, and, and this sort of contributes to, you know, we, we see these guys very, very frequently in new construction. And for the same reason, I think that we see book lice, you know, when people call and they have, um, they're dealing with silverfish or, or book lice, you know, one of the first questions I ask them is, well, how old is your home? Um, and if, you know, if they tell me that their home was built in the last year or two, then I can kind of calm them down a little bit by saying, listen, these guys are very likely feeding on fungi mold, um, the growth of which was contributed to um, by the fact that the house, you know, in very recent times was just the frame, right? The framing wood um, that gets rained on. And this, this of course, allows the, the fungi molds to grow. And then of course the house is finished and the house begins the process of drying out. And after a fairly short period of time, that food is no longer available to book lice and silverfish. And so there's sometimes they'll wink out, you know, a few years after construction of the home. Then if they tell me that their house is, you know, 15, 20 years old, then we have to think about what, what could then be contributed into moisture issues that are contributing to the fungi mold that these guys are likely feeding on. Um, but complicating matters is that they'll, you know, they feed on just sort of household, you know, debris and dust and material that accumulates in all of our homes. So these, these guys can be very tricky to determine what it is that they're actually, you know, feeding on. Um, what, one thing to mention that's sort of different about their biology is the, uh, the areas of the home in which you're likely to find these guys nesting. Now, you, you know, just because you see one crawling across well, I don't know, your bathroom floor doesn't necessarily mean that, that it, it started its hunt from, you know, a, a, a location in close proximity to the bathroom. They could have come from a long distance across the house. Um, but fire brats in general tend to, uh, to, to sort of harbor in areas that are much higher in temperature um, than the silverfish. And so that, you know, can, you know, if you can make a proper identification, then you can start to ask yourself, well, okay, if I've got this fire brat, what sort of warm area of the house might these guys be coming from? And it may be that they're, you know, hanging out underneath an oven, for instance, um, an area of the home that typically stays warmer than, than other parts of the home. Um, but if it's silverfish, it's, it's sort of hard to, uh, hard to diagnose where, where they could be coming from just based on their biology. So you talked about the uh, glue, like the book binding glue, which that just utterly breaks my heart because mm -hmm. I collect books. And so that's a huge issue. But the other thing is uh, wallpaper paste. I know mm. wallpaper is kind of coming back into fashion for certain people and they can eat, I mean, cause that is a starchy material. So they can mm. eat the back of that and cause damage to the 
wallpaper as well. Um, so Janet, do you want to talk about how people can monitor best for silverfish and fire rats? Like how can they go about figuring out where they are and what tools might they need to acquire to find them? So you guys were asking about who's seen one. I've never seen a fire brat, but I have seen silverfish. Generally, um, coastal areas, and every time I've seen them, they've always been in a bathroom. Um, so bathrooms being moisture areas, but, you know, as Robert was talking about um, age of house and again, settling of foundations, settling of pipes. So it's one of those, you know, you've, you've got to be a, a good observer. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you are cleaning and you're seeing things, what are you seeing? Because no one's mentioned this yet, but personally, these look like creepy shrimp critters to, to the naked eye and to somebody who's not trained. Entomologists find these critters fascinating if you're a non-entomologist. And I also know some entomologists that also find them creepy because again, those long antennae, the, the Circe as Molly was talking about on the bottom. So looking for those, and this is something anyone who lives in a dwelling is watching for moisture. Yeah, we've got our, our bathrooms and our kitchens that, and our maybe our laundry rooms that are great moisture areas. But again, generally they dry out. If it's constantly moist, there's a whole host of problems. And these are one of those kind of indicator pests that can tell you that something's going on with, with moisture in the home or business. I mean, they're, they can just be about anywhere. And generally, yeah, you can put out some glue boards, but it's not like you're going to catch a ton of them. Yeah, I, mean, I think with sticky traps, that's always going to be the best way to kind of passively monitor for anything. I mean, if you just have a general wanting an idea of what insects or whatever are in your house, put out some sticky traps and, you know, check on them occasionally, right? Yeah, and I mean, if you're on um, pure and beam versus um, slab foundation, different ways for for insects and all pests to come in. So it's really just kind of knowing and and looking. And you know, if you do have an excessively moist home, in other words, your humidity level in your house is more than forty percent then we would always recommend getting a dehumidifier because you want to take some of that moisture out. You know, it's nice in the wintertime to have a little moisture, but you don't want to have a whole lot because that leads to a whole other host of problems. So you talked about the, the varying seasons and the humidity changing with that. So can you find these in the house year round since they are indoors? I have a good friend that lives in New Orleans and, and, and she finds them all the time. And yes, they're more associated with the laundry room and the bathrooms. So it all depends on where you live and how much humidity moisture you have. All right. So Molly, 
when you have people calling you about silverfish, what is the main reason that they they get them? Like, how do they get inside? Do you kind of ever ask questions to figure out where they're coming from? Because that's usually the first thing that I get. It's like, well, where did these come from? Why do I have them? That's a good question. I don't know that I've ever actually thought about that. To be honest, I just kind of assume they just showed up. Um, <laughs> but but it, I, I suppose they could come in on just things that you bring from outside. I mean, I'm sure that they have some, um, you know, you can find them native living outside. I'm sure that they're not purely an urban kind of an insect. Um, but I imagine people bring them in on, in boxes and, um, you know, they go to a, an estate sale and they buy old magazines or old books or other objects that they're in, bring them in. And, you know, all it takes is one pregnant female. And then you have a, you have a little population that starts to get going, um, is, I don't know. I, I guess I don't really know. Are they, do they come from outdoors inside or you generally they, bring them? They, no, they can, but usually when I talk to people that it's usually that whole, well, I inherited it, blah, blah, blah from my aunt Tessie and <laughs> brought it into my house to look through. And now I have all of this stuff scurrying around and it's just like, well, yeah. And then the other ones, it's like people that collect newspapers or, yes. um, books or magazines or anything like that. Like a lot of people will collect, which I don't know why they collect newspapers, but you know, to each his own, um, national geographics. I know a lot of people collect those type of magazines and depending on how you are storing those as well as where you are storing those and the humidity levels in those areas, it can really lead to a problem. Cause if you're storing your paper goods in cardboard boxes, then the silverfish and fire brats will eat the cardboard boxes, but then they're also going to eat what is inside the cardboard boxes. And so if you are storing things long-term, like in, I don't know, a closet or an attic or something like that, then you might want to invest in containers that have a sealed lid and that sort of thing, like a plastic container or something like that, that you can store those items in. And you may want to also consider if you are a book collector like myself, then you might want to consider putting some sort of a fumigant in that area to keep things away from the, the books or magazines or newspapers or whatever you have stored in that container. You just need to make sure that you read and follow the instructions on the fumigant uh, strip or whatever you're putting in there. So you are actually using it properly. And that kind of segues into the next thing. So how, how do you manage silverfish or fire brats? Well, I, you know, a lot of the um, pyrethroid insecticides that are used for um, general insect management in homes can, can be effective for managing silverfish as well, but also, you know, dusting, um, cracks and crevices with an insecticidal dust, um, and 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 even you know your diatomaceous earth, um, these sorts of things can be effective. Um, but but it you know if you if you're using a dust, if a, you know if a homeowner is is dusting areas that routinely um, you know are exposed to moisture, then those dusts are going to clump and not be as effective. Um, so it requires some reapplication, but there, there are chemical insecticides that are fairly effective. 
And I think, I think we also need to mention, you know, reducing things like Janet said earlier, moisture. So we're trying to get rid of what food, water, and harborage are places to live. So food would be like starchy materials, and that would be kind of making those so it's less accessible to the solar fish. And, you know, if you have a lot of things, you know, don't have it just sit there. You're going to want to kind of clean in those areas and kind of keep an eye on that and look for damage, which did we talk about damage for these? A bit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's like what chewing damage and it just kind of, I don't know. It looks like something's been munching on the material, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so reducing the food, reducing water with adjusting humidity levels, fixing any water leaks, things like that. And then reducing the places to live while you can't get rid of, you know, your oven or your washer dryer area where these might be hiding. Um, you know, that could be where you are targeting those pesticidal treatments that Robert was mentioning. So you, we're not saying, Hey, go spread diatomaceous earth all over your house. You want to target those to where those insects are going to be residing, which are going to be in those more hidden areas. Mm -hmm. I think something that we didn't mention is that these are nocturnal insects. So they are going to be active at night um, or mostly active at night, right? So they're going to be kind of out and searching for their food and whatnot during the nighttime. And they typically will hide during the day. I know mm -hmm. in my house, when I have silverfish problems, it's like I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I flip on the light and there's the silverfish scurrying across the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to share. So, so you're right. I mean, you don't want to just do a, a non-targeted insecticide application. I mean, that might solve your problem, but if you do a little bit of investigating, like, like you said, you would come into your bathroom and, and find them on the floor. We, we had the same phenomenon in our house, um, in our master bathroom. If I went in the night, very frequently, I would see these guys. And, you know, they'll scurry and hide under anything. Um, but one time I just tracked one and it, it went down the wall and it went directly into a little crack where the, uh, um, the mortar between, um, or the grout, excuse me, between um, some flooring tile met the wall. And then another time I actually saw one come out of that hole. And I mean, a really small hole that you would never really even notice unless you're tracking an insect that ran into it. Um, so I just um, made a, a, a really precise application of insecticidal dust, poofed it into that little crack, and then we didn't have silverfish again. I mean, we haven't seen them again. So, you know, if you're lucky and you can see where they're coming and going from, you can, you can treat them directly where that happens to be. Yeah. And it can be behind, I, a lot of times they get behind like the baseboards and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they'll be in those areas. And then, you know, once you get rid of the problem, like you did, then you can go back and you can seal that area up and kind of fix it. That way they can't hide in that area anymore. Oh, no, no. Now I've got a new project this week. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't follow through with that. I'm going to tell your wife to add it to the to-do yeah, list. Don't. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Unwanted Guests. Silverfish and fry brats can cause damage to starchy items, but they can be managed using sanitation, harborage reduction, and managing moisture. 
For more information, go to extensionentomology.tamu.edu. We'll catch you next time.